customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Hope everyone is doing well. Happy Friday. Uh, a little late here, putting this episode out and tried to get it done, uh, finish it up last night, Thursday night, but, uh, you know, things are going on and a uh, little, little, little jet lagged, I'll admit, from uh, the trip to the owners meeting, but... Got a good episode for you all the same. Uh, the guest today, salary cap insider and former Washington uh, front office employee, if that's not the right way to say it, uh, J.I. Hallsell, uh, at Salary Cap 101 on Twitter. Fun conversation and really an insightful one with, with J.I. We went through his view of Ron Rivera saying um, that they're roster building for the first time which is confusing, but from the salary cap perspective, I wanted to get his view on that, how it relates to the quarterback and, and the non-pursuit of Lamar Jackson. We talked a bunch about Chase Young's fifth-year option. What are Washington's uh, moves to make on the defensive line, knowing that they've already paid two of those guys? Um, we also talked about Deron Payne's deal, what he thought of that, and a whole bunch more. So excited to get to you to J.I. in a moment. Uh, also, I'll, I'll give you some thoughts as well on the ownership situation and my new story up on The Athletic about the draft. So we'll get to that in a moment here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you do your podcasting, including The Athletic app. Um, and of course, speaking of The Athletic, right now, uh, you know, we do this sometimes, a dollar a month offer for one year. I mean, look, I, I never want to tell anybody how to spend their money, but look, if you've ever considered joining the athletic, I don't know how to tell you how to have a better offer than that. You get myself, you get David Aldridge, you get all of our NFL coverage, NBA coverage, uh, MLB coverage, the great Britt Giroli, of course, on the, uh, on baseball, my guy, uh, Tarek El-Bashir on the caps, uh, college football, the EPL, it's an insane offer, so I hopefully you take advantage of that. Just go click on one of my articles, and you can do it that way, and uh, that'd be great. Um, all right, l let me get to a few things here before I get to my interview with J.I. Now, in terms of the owner situation, right, this is obviously what we want to discuss the most. It's been a quiet couple of days since everybody left uh, Phoenix site of the league meetings, and, you know— we talked about this before the meeting started, that it, it would be surprising if we got any real news out of those meetings. I still don't think we did get any real news. Now, I know that we did hear from Adam Schefter that there were two bids for $6 billion, one from the Josh Harris group and one from, and I'm just going to say the Canadian billionaires group. I, I, I keep butchering the name. I'm not going to – if you heard the last episode, you heard me butcher it. I'll, I'll despair everybody that. Now, we heard that. What's interesting to me about that is, first of all, coming from Adam Schefter, you know, go back a couple years ago. Let's remember when Tanya Snyder became the co-CEO and became sort of the face of the organization. She did her 
I think one and only podcast interview with, of all people, Adam Schefter. Didn't go too well, but that's where that went. I think the relationship between Snyder and Schefter is notable here because of the fact of, of, of he's the one that put these bids out and put out a dollar figure with them. There really hasn't been too much confirmation beyond that. I think I think there has been a little on the Josh Harris front, but um, you know I know we mentioned the, the bid, but not the number. And for the Canadian billionaire, I don't think I don't know if anybody has confirmed that amount. Uh, that all to me seems like putting a number out there to try to you know help build the market, set a baseline for what others who may want to come in, i.e. Jeff Bezos, need to beat. Um, I, I will note as well that the Canadian billionaire just yesterday came a report out of Canada that he is apparently in the mix to bid on the Ottawa Senators. Okay, the Ottawa Senators, the Washington Commanders, and I, I don't know if he's still in the mix, but he was mentioned as a potential bidder for the Charlotte Hornets. I told you guys at the start of this, it felt to me like this was a, a person who was trying to get some attention to update his Wikipedia page. And maybe he's intent on buying a, a team, but you can't be in, in on all these teams in any real way. Uh, I have no idea what his net worth is, but just based on what you see online, he he does not have nearly enough to, certainly by the NFL standards, to get the commanders by himself. He would need some help. We haven't heard about that help yet. And now three different teams that he's looking at. I, I, I'm not considering him a, a serious candidate at this point, even though I did hear you know, he went when he toured with Washington that he did, you know, show some um, so showed some interest. I heard through the grapevine um, like it wasn't just, a, you know, a, pre, uh, a, a, a he, he, it was it wasn't just there for the photo op, I guess you could say in any event. So that's where we are with that. Um, I, I still would imagine that Josh Harris is the front runner. Oh, by the way, the other the other note. Uh, Charles Gasparino, the Fox Business News reporter, who has been tweeting out a lot about the situation, primarily from the Snyder end. He has acknowledged that he and the Snyders are friendly friends. Um, and he had a tweet out today that from inside the Snyder camp that they would not be opposed to a Jeff Bezos bid, that he understands the Snyder, that he understands, even though Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post, that the editorial side he doesn't control as a separate entity, yada, yada. Um, yeah, no, duh. Like, that's not, that's not, that's not news. If you're telling me that's a, that's something that like, oh yeah, it's no big deal. If Jeff Bezos does this, I don't, I don't really buy this again. It was reported by us and others a, a couple weeks ago that Jeff Bezos was being at least initially prevented from bidding on this team. Now, perhaps that's a semantical argument, but where was this case? Where was this statement weeks ago? about Jeff Bezos, um, you know, be willing to take his, 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 his bids. I, I can imagine that Snyder is not necessarily thrilled with the offers he has, but that's, you know, different than saying, Oh, Jeff Bezos, sure. Come on down, whatever. Yes. If Jeff Bezos offers the most money, Jeff Bezos will get the team. I, I think that's always kind of been the case. I don't really think that would be, um, much of an issue. So, Take that for what it's worth. Uh, in terms of the timing of any of this, you know, it's still up in the air. Uh, the, everything is kind of all over the place. Certainly it didn't happen last week, as a lot of people put out there into the universe. But going forward, you know, it's a wait and see deal. Um, it does stand, though, continually that it is going to happen at some point. When? That's the question. But it, uh, I'm not saying anything that is that I just mentioned suggests that won't happen. Uh, Jason Wright seems pretty insistent that it will happen and others do as well. So at least I think in that sense, you can feel comfortable about moving forward. That said, Dan Snyder is an absolute wild card and we have no idea what he's thinking or what, you know, what he wants to do. So definitely not assuming anything, but it does feel like we're still heading in the right direction for a sale. Um, all right. Quick other note, as I mentioned, I have a new story up today about the draft. It's a new big board, commanders only. Uh, it's about, I think it's about 16 or 17 players that I think could make sense for them in the uh, first round and maybe you know into day two. Uh, what I did here, though, rather than just give you guys a list of names, 
which you'll probably look up yourself, I incorporated a couple things. I incorporated some of my one-on-one that I had with Ron Rivera at the uh, league meetings. By the way, I'll have more on that one-on-one with Rivera and my one-on-one with Jason Wright up on Monday. But, and also in addition to that, we have a new uh, top 100 prospects big board up on The Athletic. So I used some of the uh, analysis from that in the story as well. Um, I want to go over one aspect of the, this story, and uh, you know, hopefully you will go look at the rest. But I wanted to get into the offensive line. On the one hand, I think cornerback is the biggest need for the 22-man starting lineup because I don't know who the fifth defensive back is at all right now. And I do talk to Rivera about that in here. Uh, we talked about Kendall Fuller, Percy Butler, their future, et cetera. But the offensive line as a as a unit is, to me, still the weakest issue. Uh, linebacker, you can argue, is weaker, but that's not as important as the offensive line is. Yes, they've added Andrew Wiley and Nick Gates in particular, and maybe they both start, but there's really no obvious like Pro Bowl talent on this roster. And, and I did ask Rivera about the idea of, hey, if you're there at 16 or you trade down or whatever, and there's a player that you like, say at right tackle, would that preclude you from moving Andrew Wiley to guard? He didn't exactly answer the question, but he said a lot's going to come down to, I mean, I guess he did answer it, but a lot, he said basically he said a lot of it's going to come down to basically who's on the board. Do we Is this the player we want? And then we adjust from there. And, and this is where I think when you listen to Rivera and Mayhew talk the other day, I think it's pretty obvious that the offensive line still has work to do, uh, even with the starters. Even though you could say right now, Charles Leno, Andrew Norwell, pick one of the centers, Chase Rouye, Nick Gates, Tyler Larson, uh, with Sam Cosby and Andrew Wiley. Like You could say that that's your group. But I think there's a lot still in place. So, again, right tackle. Uh in my last mock draft, I had Darnell Wright from Tennessee as the pick at 16. Some people have, you know, I, I in a previous mock, when I had them trading down, uh, uh, Dewan Jones from Ohio State was a name to keep an eye out, or maybe even in the second round. Both of those guys play right tackle. So if you do that, that means you're going to move Wiley to guard. And Sam Cosme would, which would move to the other guard spot. Okay, so that's different. Let's say, though, it's a left tackle. Let's say one of the top three left tackles, including Broderick Jones from Georgia, one of those guys is available at 16. Well, I can see Washington saying, hey, we got a chance to get a, 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 a really strong potential uh, player here. We got to do that. Well, if they do that out for a left tackle, that could be it for Charles Leno. Now, sure, you could maybe play that guy at right tackle and then move Wiley over, but they, you know, they also did bring Wiley in for a reason. He played right tackle last year for Eric Bieniemy as the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. And Charles Leno has, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it's like a $12 million cap hit, but only like $4 million dead cap. So they'd save a good amount of money. That's possible. Well, let's say they draft just a flat-out guard. Osiris Torrance from Florida is a really interesting name to consider, especially if Washington trades down. Well, doing that, okay, I think Andrew Norwell at that point gets released. Uh, maybe he even does in the other scenario that I mentioned at right with the right tackle if you're moving uh, Wiley inside. Uh, if you missed it the other day, Rivera talked about the, the left guard competition. He mentions Chris Paul, Sadiq Charles, completely did not mention Andrew Norwell until we reminded him. And he kind of then sounded like a guy who is saying we, um, you know, we're not... Uh, he's here for now. We'll see about later. Okay. And then lastly at center, look, it's possible they could draft a center. That's more of a day two thing. A guy like John uh, Michael Schmitz from um, Minnesota. If you do that, then I have to assume Chase Rouillet is gone one way or the other. So there is still a lot in flux here at this position and, or, or at this you know group, I should say, which there needs to be. It is, on paper, to me, it's an unsatisfying group that they have right now. So would like to see um, them do more. But, I, you know, trading down to me is still, again, it's not the, 
it's an easy thing to say, but I really do still think that it is the best scenario for them and one I think they would be willing to do because of the fact that you can get other tackles and guards further down in the first round, pick up some extra picks, and they could possibly do something similar in the second round. I think guards a little, there's not as many options there, tackle some. So that to me is just how one way to look at the offensive line. But as I said, you uh, got thoughts on cornerback, uh, best player available, and more on the offensive line options as well in my new article up on The Athletic. All right, uh, let's get to it. Uh, here is uh, my conversation with salary cap insider J.I. Hallsell. Uh, we'll get to that right after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, so look, a lot of the topics with Washington right now, particularly coming out of the owners meeting, have to do with roster building, something Ron Rivera mentioned several times, and connected to that is how to navigate the salary cap, uh, nobody better to discuss that than our next guest, who is a salary cap expert, former agent, uh, J.I. Hallsell, who, of course, also worked for this organization when it was owned by Dan Snyder. I say when it was owned. It is still owned by Dan Snyder. Maybe not for much longer. We'll see about that. Uh, but first off, J.I., how are you? I'm doing well, as always. Thanks for having me. Ab- absolutely. Um uh, you know, you uh, you're out there in the Phoenix area, so you got a whiff of the. I'm sure of all the the, the fancy private jets flying in to uh, to Phoenix. Did you uh, did you ever have a chance to go to one of those uh, owners meetings? Not when I was working for Washington, but being as though I live here in the Phoenix Scottsdale area now, you know, I pretty much get up to the Biltmore um, annually when the owners meeting is there and. Um, you know, it's always just great to catch up with, you know, connections around the league, people in front offices and uh, members of the media like yourself. Yeah, definitely an interesting experience hobnobbing with uh, with these people. Um, you know, I'm used to dealing with athletes signing, you know, contracts for millions of dollars. Talking to people who are worth billions of dollars is a different is a different experience, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Did you ever like I mean, as a salary cap guy, I assume on some level you I look at the players and I and think of them as they're a human being, but they're also worth this much money on the on the ledger sheet. Do you ever like the same thing with like the owners like looking like wow, like this guy the, the the money here is like off the charts? Yeah, I mean, given my line of work, you know, the compensation, it, it just becomes numbers, right? And actually to a degree, that helps me really isolate the fact that whether we're talking about an owner or an athlete, you know, if you put the money part of it aside. Um, you know, they're just regular human beings just like us with, with their own quirks and personalities, so on and so forth. It's just um, when I go back and I look at the spreadsheet or I know how much an owner's value is, it's like, wow, it must be nice. Um, but, you know, they're regular people just like us. Well, some of them, sure, I guess. Uh, 
Uh, it's the, the, it's always been the question about the guy that owns this team to what degree of a regular person he is. And I say that largely not because of the rumors. I just don't know. I've never been around him, really. I was there when he said Happy Thanksgiving when he introduced Ron Rivera, and that's been kind of it. Uh, you know, certainly in this in this uh, re- recent run, but you were around there in the building. Yeah. Can you – it is still, I think, hard to comprehend for a lot of people that this may actually be happening, that we're talking on – Thursday afternoon, and it appears all signs are that he will, in fact, sell this team. Uh, did you ever think that was conceivable? Uh, you know that, that that he would that he was actually going to go and do that. A couple of things, yeah. Was one, you know, was not very long ago where I did not where I, I didn't think it was conceivable. Uh, so, or said another way, I thought it was inconceivable. Um, that being said. Um, having been in that building for a couple of years when I worked in that front office, um, I do recognize that, look, he Dan is a guy who grew, grew up, you know, rooting for that organization. You know, so he, he bought the organization, uh, one, as a businessman, but two, as a fan of the organization and of the team. Um, and going back to what I said a couple of minutes ago about, you know, owners or regular people, too, <laughs> just have really deep pockets uh you know regular people have their quirks too and both positive and negative and um i I saw it characterized as he run the organization into the ground i don't know that he's necessarily done anything to improve the organization in his tenure there and it goes to show kind of you don't necessarily need to improve something in order for its value to increase because he's obviously going to make a tremendous windfall when he sells the team. And um, I'll say this, if he does not sell the team, I think this might be the biggest letdown in the DMV area for a fan base <laughs> in the history of letdowns. Yeah. Um, given kind of what we are, where our expectations are right now. But, um, you know, look, I, I get, you know, he's a, he's a tough businessman. He's a fan of the organization. Um, he has his personality quirks. Um, but I do think for the fan base in particular, it'd be great for a fresh start. Um, as a salary cap person who has, you know, you, you, when you had to deal with figuring out how much money could you spend, should you spend on different players? I've always said, especially in more recent years, it's like, look, obviously they were able to get a lot of players early on in, in the Snyder era. Now he overspent, maybe you could say for certain players, but in general, players seem to be willing to come here, in, and coaches as well. I mean, Mike Shanahan had won two Super Bowls when he came here. But over time, it feels like the Snyder tax has gotten uh, extreme to the point that now it feels like, you know, look, even a guy like Ron Rivera, who obviously had done some good things at Carolina, but had no personnel experience. So to give him that extra layer was seemed like an example of, the, the tax that basically Snyder had to pay and his front office had to pay to deal with all the distractions and all the this negative that goes on with him. What do you think that's going to mean for this group then? Whoever is, you know, whether it's Rivera now or somebody going forward to to not have that Snyder tax, do you think that's going to actually give them more opportunities across the board, personnel, coaches, whatever? Well, there's a couple of things. I think, you know, yeah, early on in the Snyder tenure, yeah, they would spend in free agency and, um, you know, at the end of the day, everyone has their price. You know, money's going to talk more often than not. I think what you've seen over the past mm, 10 years or so, uh, definitely kind of with Bruce Allen's arrival there when he first got there, was that there was a changing of roster building philosophy and how the organization was going to approach free agency. So, you know, where we're not going to be the big spenders in free agency, we are going to try to build through the draft. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll pick our spots in free agency, but it's not going to be what it was early in Dan's tenure as owner. And I think you've seen that continue uh, in Ron's uh, tenure where we're not going to be super big spenders in free agency. We're going to try to build this through the draft. Um, And so I don't know how much of that is a Snyder tax necessarily as much as it is just a change in roster building philosophy. Um, Because again, everyone kind of has their price. So whether it's Dan as the owner or a new ownership group, um, the roster philosophy is what it is. And, you know, if you want to go spend big, everybody has their price. Well, let's put it like this. When people like Russell Wilson, I know it didn't work out last year at Denver, but when Russell Wilson was available, I don't think Russell Wilson was going to sign off on coming here. 
uh, Aaron Rodgers, for argument's sake, right now, I don't think would be willing to. Like just guys who have options, I, I would say, like it, it just seems like that's it's going to potentially open up the door for all that. Maybe they get nobody, who knows? But it's no longer going to be a counterfeit money situation for people at, at sort of that higher level. I would say it's it's one less consideration slash concern when you're weighing your options as a player. Fair, fair, fair enough. All right, I'll take you off the hot seat on Snyder. Let's get to the team as is, and we are. We can talk. We can start with the sort of the notion of the high priced quarterback, because obviously a lot of people have been trying to figure out how to get Lamar Jackson to Washington, and you know, I think Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew both kind of shot that down uh, at the owners' meeting, uh, it, basically saying that from a, a, a roster perspective, they didn't want to. In order to get Lamar Jackson, based on the, the perception of what he's looking for, fully guaranteed contract, maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of $200 million, that that would blow up the roster uh, for them. Um, what do you, I guess, in general, because I, I imagine that's what a lot of teams would, would, would basically, are probably saying, what do you make of, of that, the weighing of blowing up the roster versus, well, this guy is one of the better quarterbacks in the league. He's won an MVP. How do you kind of weigh that as a person who's, you know, deals with the salary cap? Yeah, I mean, I just the um, gymnastics involved with trying to pursue Lamar Jackson in and of itself makes it uh, not a uh, not a interesting avenue to pursue if you're the commanders. Uh, the thought of giving up two first round picks, it is what it is when you think about trying to get a elite quarterback so I, I get that part of it but you know to craft an offer sheet that Lamar would be comfortable signing and more importantly that you know Baltimore would not match that's a tough assignment you know that's a super tough assignment for a player who has an agent let alone a player who does not have an agent and having the player understand the mechanics of what that offer sheet looks like and how it gets him to his goal of having a fully guaranteed contract. So when you think about all of those things, not to mention that if he wants a fully guaranteed contract, you know, we've talked about this before, there's the funding rule and you don't know what your new owner, assuming there is a new owner, you know, what their philosophy is on funding. Uh, there's, just, there's just a lot of question marks that make it quite frankly, a lot easier to say, let's go down this approach of, you know, having a quarterback in Sam Howell on a rookie contract and a, a, um, a, a solid backup veteran quarterback in Brissett, you know, whose contracts, either one of those contracts, isn't hurting your salary cap. And let's build the roster around those guys. Um, that's a much easier and, quite frankly, pro from a probability standpoint, um, give you a better chance to maybe win games in the near term. I think that's such the interesting thing, right? Obviously, because I asked a bunch of the different coaches at the owners meeting about this. I, I talked to people like um, Doug Peterson, who's got Trevor Lawrence right now, sort of the ideal candidate. I also talked to Zach Taylor, also sort of been the ideal candidate in terms of the talent is as good as almost anybody in the league, but the cost is really, really uh, cheap. But then, you're, you know, Jalen Hurts was the same way this last year with the Eagles. They were able to do so much. Now, at least in the case of Burrow and Hurts, those salaries are about to escalate and, and we'll see what those teams uh, do there. But a lot of these coaches have said, sure, we know eventually the money's going to come due. But, you know, Mahomes just won the Super Bowl and he's getting paid a lot of money. Tom Brady, obviously, over the years and so on. How many quarterbacks do you think actually in the league are worth it in terms of the idea of you're just going to pay them and it doesn't, whatever it is it's going to be, but we still can win because they're that good. I can't imagine the number is more than like, I don't know, six guys, something like that. In terms of like just the price point that you're paying these guys being able to win, are they truly worth it? Right. I mean, you know, like, you know, Kirk Cousins had a fully guaranteed contract with the Vikings for mm -hmm. three years. Two of them. <laughs> right. But like the, 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 and it was the total number wasn't, at least at that moment, wasn't yeah. like astronomical. It was just that it was fully guaranteed. But when we're talking about some of these, like if you know, if if if, if Lamar Jackson wants, I don't know, roughly fifty million dollars a year, at some point it becomes, well, can we field enough of a team, and is he good enough to do it? So, I, like, I don't think there's just that many guys who are even worth that. 
No, not when when you've got a. And don't get me wrong. Look, the continued escalation of the salary cap as we go into the future kind of mitigates that to some degree. But um, there's still only so much, you know, salary cap space that in allocations that you can make to one particular position when you've got to fill these other needs. I think. You know, you look at the, the Daniel Jones situation, his contract with the Giants, right? Like, I mean, he's not breaking the bank. He's getting paid in the low 40s on an average per year basis. Um, and, you know, they'll still be able to fill, field a team around him. Um, but when you start talking top end of the quarterback market, it becomes more incumbent upon you if you are going to pay that price point that you've got to backfill these guys with um, either – uh, cheap veteran talent or cheap draft talent. Um. So what? So what do you make of this Lamar Jackson? T- like, okay, let me ask you this. So if you're Ron Rivera, you're going into the fourth year of your contract. You have uh, you you have up to five years. You have yet to have a winning season by record. You have a new owner coming in. Putting aside whether Dan Snyder could sign off on it or how that would work it but if you're Rivera they said they didn't even consider it they didn't even talk about it whether that's true or not I don't know but like they, that's what they said does it what what makes more sense going the cheaper route with with the Sam Howe and Jacoby Brissett combined they'll make less than Ryan Fitzpatrick made in 2021 but there's minimal upside but you could that that allowed you to keep Deron Payne for example and maybe some other things or Say, well, we got to win this year. I don't know what's going to happen with this new guy. Lamar Jackson's real good. We got to go in, and even if we lose these other things, like what, what do you think makes more sense from that perspective? I was actually having a conversation at the uh, up at the Biltmore yesterday with a front office executive about how the league is often a league of just self-preservation, right? And because of that mindset, it does surprise me to some degree that you know, uh, Ron did not say or that they have not made a um, effort or at least seriously thought about pursuing Lamar Jackson and mortgaging the future in order to get a guy who might, you know, he's obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the league when he's healthy. Um, and, and, you know, let's shoot our shot because quite honestly, those two first round picks that we get to keep by not pursuing Lamar Jackson, we may not even be around to use one of those first round picks, right? And so why not shoot our shot? Um, so there is an element to me, quite honestly, of selflessness uh, and, and sticking to our philosophy and believing in our philosophy that, uh, you know, we can get it done without having to pursue a short-term solution in a Lamar Jackson. That, that is what is interesting about this, the self-preservation part. Now, again, it's possible Dan Snyder just said, look, this is not going to happen. Between the funding rule, cash flow, I don't want to like tack on $200, $200 million more to this price when I'm working on negotiating a $6 billion deal. So it's not even an option, and, and maybe Rivera is just saying what he's saying to deal with that, and, that, and that's fine if so. But other than that, it's just like – and I'm not saying he should go get Lamar Jackson per se, but the idea of like saying in early January – we're going with Sam Howell, going to give him that chance. It's like, wow, I really like Sam Howell, but he may not be good for two years, even if he is really good. And that's where it's confusing. Brissett is a solid player, but he's not much different realistically than what they've had the last few years in Fitzpatrick or Heineke or, you know, it's in that same general range. Sure. Um, so, but just about in general, what do you make of of the of Lamar Jackson in the sense of that nobody in the league seems to be making a move on him? You mentioned the negotiating himself. Uh, I don't know how well that's going. He may not need an agent to negotiate a contract. He needs. To, I think he needs somebody to tell him to stop tweeting. Uh, that's just my view. But uh, what, what do you make of, of of this whole situation? What do you kind of think is going to happen? I, I look, you know, it, it's well documented. I, I helped Russell Okun when he self-represented himself. So I was an advisor to him in his process, right? The difference, though, is, is that in Russell Okun's case, he was going into veteran free agency, right? And so he was simply managing kind of a bidding war for his services. The challenge with Lamar's situation where self-representation becomes difficult is the complexity of his situation the complexity of being 
kind of a free agent, but with a lot of restriction when you're the not when they place the non-exclusive franchise tag on you. Um, and you know, now you've got to try to work with clubs to come up with some very unique and complex contract structure that would then become an offer sheet that you would hope the Ravens would not match. Like that is a very difficult um, circumstance, even if he had a veteran agent in his corner, let alone doing it as a self-represented player. Um, he, he, he wants to kind of point to the Deshaun Watson deal. And, um, you know, Deshaun was a really good quarterback in Houston, but he had the off the field stuff. I don't have any of that. Why can't I get the same type of deal? Well, um, these deals are not purely based upon the player. They often are derivative of the circumstances in which these deals are being negotiated. In the case of Deshaun Watson, Houston wanted to get rid of him. Uh, there ended up being a bit of a bidding war for him. Cleveland was out of the race, and Cleveland was able to win the race by offering him a guaranteed contract when no one else would. So that's not because of who Deshaun Watson is. That's a function of circumstance. In Lamar's situation, Baltimore would actually prefer to keep him. Um, they have the first right of re first first right of refusal, um, and so his circumstances are vastly different. We mentioned Kirk Cousins earlier. Now, if Lamar were saying, you know what, I want a Kirk Cousins type deal, but at a higher average per year. So let's call it three years, 45 million. So three years, 135 million in total value, all fully guaranteed at signing. I think Baltimore, quite honestly, might consider it because now, because of the funding rule, you're not having to put multiple years of millions upon millions of dollars into an escrow account. No owner wants to do that. Um, so the shorter deal precludes that and maybe allows both sides to get what they want. But the challenge is, is, I don't know that there's anyone in Lamar's corner who is encouraging him to try to meet Baltimore in the middle somewhere. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see where uh, where this one goes. I mean, normally you just say eventually, you know, some sort of deadline will get a deal done. But I don't know. Um, it's uh, the, the deadline I would look, the deadline I would point to is week ten of this this year. Because my sense is he's stubborn enough to withhold his services, but he has to report by week 10 in order for them to compel them to have to tag him again next year. Um, so to me, that's the deadline for something, um, you know, short of a renegotiated one-year deal or a multi-year agreement between him and the Ravens. Well, that would be uh, quite the journey if we if they're all going to have to wait uh, that deep into the season. Um, let me get pull back to Washington and particularly with the defensive line. I have been on this case for multiple years now with the idea that at some point they're going to have to move one of these defensive linemen that they picked in the first round because from an asset allocation standpoint, I get that you can maneuver the salary cap around to make it in any given year. You could pay all four of these guys on an extended deal, but in terms of the resources put, that's just a lot for one spot. They've obviously now paid John Allen and Deron Payne. Montez Sweat could get – both of the Montez Sweat and Chase Young could get new deals now. Montez going into his last year, Chase Young going into his uh, fourth year. They have to pick Four. up the option by – the fifth-year option by May 2nd. Just broadly, what do you make of that scenario? Now that we're here with two guys paid, two guys waiting, what do you make of where they are in that? And, and what do you – how do you kind of see this path moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it, from a allocation standpoint, it is a challenge to pay that much money to one position group. So when you think about possibly giving an extension to Sweat, and then you've got to obviously make a decision on Chase Young's fifth-year option uh, specific to that, I do think it'd be wise for them to exercise the fifth-year option just because the fifth-year option ends up being cheaper than the franchise tag. Um, but – you know, you're going to you're getting to a point in the John Allen contract, though, where the money um, is not truly guaranteed. So the question becomes, after the 2023 season, could he be the odd man out as you look to extend sweat, maybe extend young? Um, so, you know, could you have a scenario where three of the four are on are playing on second contracts 
and who is the odd man out and could it be John Allen potentially but I think to your point um I don't see a a scenario or at least a long-term scenario where all four players are on second contracts in Washington yeah, that, that's the part that's a challenge. So so they don't have to do anything with Montez Sweat. They can play out the year just like they did with Deron Payne. But Chase Young, they do have to make a call here soon on that fifth-year option. So if you're, you're sitting in there. You're the salary cap expert. The, Ron Rivera comes to you and says, what do we do? The, the, if we pick it up, it's a fully guaranteed $17.5 million for 2024. Um, and, and you still have Montez Sweat kind of waiting there. Obviously, we know with Chase Young – He's coming off that uh, significant knee injury in 2021. It caused him to miss, what, 22 games before he returned to late last season. Didn't look particularly spry or particularly dynamic, but, you know, coming off the injury, you know, could be some time. What are you sitting there with looking at the whole situation? How do you evaluate what to do there? Yeah, no, I think when you look at um, the importance of positions, obviously, quarterback is the most important position on the roster but edge rushers is pretty high up on that list too and when you look at what edge rushers get paid um who get second contracts who go out in the free agency um to pay him 17 million in his fifth year which would be the 2024 season um is 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 probably worth the gamble um it, it again it's cheaper than what the tag will be also when you exercise the fifth-year option, there's no holding out. You're under contract in, in 2024. So he can't withhold his services. He's got to show up. So this all assumes that he comes back here in 2023 and he, he plays at a high level, right? Um, and if he doesn't pan out here this year, he doesn't return to form, well, yeah, it's $17 million, um, That's fully guaranteed. Um, but it's the gamble that you take in order to get an edge rusher who is homegrown quite literally um, at below market value. So um, again, my opinion would be to exercise the fifth year option. All right. Now let me present you then with this. If we're, if we're both sort of saying that it's going to be hard to keep um, all four of them on a second deal. Now, technically it wouldn't be Chase Young second deal, but the money is such that it is like a pretty, it, it kind of is like that. Uh, you could still use the franchise tag on Montez Sweat the next year, but the franchise tag is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 million, give or take. Um, and you mentioned possibly like losing, you know, John Allen's deal where it is, maybe there's not as much money, guaranteed money you could move on if you wanted to. So that would mean hypothetically keeping Chase Young, knowing you may lose either one of those other two other guys. Does that change the view from you? But knowing that of the four, Chase Young is arguably the fourth right now. And maybe I would rather give myself as many options as possible with all the other guys versus locking myself into Chase Young, considering I, I, where he's at. I think for me, it's the importance, the ranking of the position, the edge rusher, right? right. I think you could go get yourself another young defensive tackle, interior defensive lineman in the draft this year as a potential successor to John Allen, if you decide to move on from him going into the 24 season, right? But you're gambling on the position of, uh, you know, the importance of the edge position. And if you've got two of those guys, you know, in sweat and young, again, assuming young returns to form, then, you know, I would, I would invest those, those assets, those cap assets into the two edge rushers, and move on from the interior lineman whose deal has very little guaranteed money uh, left. Right. Well, that's certainly interesting to, to even consider that, considering what John Allen's done the last couple of years. It is, of course, worth noting they drafted Fedarian Mathis in the second round last year. He got hurt in week one and didn't play, but they did that seemingly because of Deron Payne, so it would sort of work in this regard as well. Uh, boy, <laughs> that's interesting. Um. I don't know. This is maybe outside of your domain and I don't have a clue what I think the answer is, but let's just say hypothetically, they were like looking to maybe even trade young or sweat, knowing that they could lose one of them um, next year. Yes. Of course there's the third round compensatory pick, but that doesn't come up for the year after they leave. And we talked before about for Rivera, he's kind of got to win now. So if they were able to make a deal, but say before the draft, you have any sense of what those guys would be 
worth considering both they both are going to get paid so you're not getting them on the really the cheap deal for the most part and two in young's case he's got this injury i don't know how to even factor that in for what he might be worth yeah i think you know the example that kind of comes to mind is uh bradley chubb getting traded from the broncos uh to the dolphins right um you know, that's a, a pretty similar situation when you think about Montez Sweat. Uh, in terms of Chase Young and what you can get for him, yeah, because of the 20-plus missed games before returning last year and not really looking like his old self, I don't know that there's going to be this hot trade market for Chase Young, you know, at this stage in the game. Um, but for Montez Sweat, there could be some trade, a significant trade value. I don't know exactly what it is. You know, um, again, the Bradley Chubb, deal kind of uh, sticks out to me as being somewhat of a similar situation and Denver did fairly well for themselves in that trade um, but yeah but again it, there's such a premium placed on edge rushers in this league that um, while I know Denver traded one uh, it to me if I'm going to invest in the D-line I'm going to invest in those two edge rushers assuming Chase Young's return to form um to that end, I didn't ask you this. So they gave Deron Payne the four-year, $90 million contract, $60 million guaranteed. He obviously had a great year. I don't think there's a – nobody's questioning his talent. But the big wonder had been they'd already pay down, and typically teams are doing what, what you just said. They would rather pay edge rushers than tackles. So, again, if you were sort of been running the show, what do you think your recommendation would have been ultimately to do what they did, or would you have maybe suggested something else? No, I, I would have done what they did. I mean, you've got to reward your young guys, your guys who you drafted, you know, who you've developed in your culture and your scheme. You know, that's, you know, we've talked about this before. That's just a great message to the locker room. Um, and, and while we do need to balance that against uh, cap allocation, so on and so forth, um, again, you've got the two edge rushers still technically on their rookie contracts. Um, you know, again, John Allen in 2024 will be going into the, not so guaranteed part of his contract. So there is some amount of succession planning, not only from a, who the players are standpoint, but from also managing the contracts standpoint. And, you know, again, yeah, you've got to reward a Deron Payne after the season he had. Um, Obviously they need to win this year for everybody to kind of keep their jobs. But if they were to have a, 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 a poor year and bottom out, they might be in position if they really bought him out to get a certain uh, former Gonzaga uh, <laughs> football player in the draft. And uh, Caleb Williams is a proud Gonzaga alum. Is that uh, keeping would, would keeping that guy in the hometown be uh, be, be the ultimate uh, wish here? No, honestly, no. I actually don't want him to come home to Washington. Um, there's just so many like being a starting quarterback in the NFL comes with a lot of challenges as is, let alone having to do it in your hometown. And, you know, we, we've seen this already firsthand with Dwayne Haskins, right? Um, and maybe even Chase honestly, Young to some degree. Would, and Chase Young to some degree as well. And so I would much rather see Caleb go elsewhere. And, and just seeing kind of some of his comments recently, I think he actually would prefer to go elsewhere as well. Um, you know, I think there's a reason why he didn't go to Maryland and, you know, he started out of Oklahoma and ended up at SC. Like, I don't think he's as attached, you know, to the D.C. area. And that's not a, a slight at the D.C. area. I just think that he's a, he's a kid who wants to spread his wings and it doesn't have to be in the DMV. Um, and so that's the only way of saying that, um, you know, I do hope he's the number one overall pick next year. And <laughs> I hope it's uh, somewhere other than Washington for both Washington's sake and for Caleb's sake. <laughs> I have no idea what Caleb, Caleb Williams pays attention to the NBA or, or views Kevin Durant in any sort of exalted terms. But when Kevin Durant said flat out he wasn't going to be interested in – forget coming to the Wizards. He wasn't even interested. He also skipped Maryland or Georgetown or any of the local schools. I, I sort of wondered if that was an indication perhaps of him, but maybe of the younger mentality uh, – the, the mentality of the younger generation in, in the D.C. area about playing for the local – teams obviously the, the the commanders part of the issue has been they have just been such a mess for so long that i don't know what the fan base is anymore and kids today might be like eh, i'm not interested in them I, i'm more interested in players versus this team and 
you know, like what you said, when you, when you play for the local team, you got to pay, you got to buy tickets for everybody. And there's all that stuff. So I almost wonder if like just generationally, is that something that's even like a, a factor? Yeah, no, I think that's super plausible. You know, this generation didn't grow up with the Joe Gibbs of the world and the, the you know, the Super Bowl wins when we talk, when we're talking about football um, and just, yeah, you know, the world, just generally speaking, because of social media, so on and so forth, these kids grow up with broadened horizons. They're not just focused on their loca- local area. And because of these broadened horizons, they're more willing to go spread their wings. Uh, J.I., great stuff as always. But uh, Before I let you go, I'll just bring this on you. Is there anything else that happened this offseason that from your perspective uh, with Washington or anybody else, from your perspective as a uh, – former agent as a salary cap insider that sort of stands out to you, either some sort of, I don't know, trend or deal that was odd, or obviously like the Aaron Rodgers situation is, you know, still floating out there. We're waiting to see what, what happens there. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, Lamar's obviously the biggest one um, that stands out to me, but I think, yeah, the Aaron Rodgers thing is somewhat unique because it's kind of like, okay, he's out the door in green Bay, but technically he's not out the door. Right. And they're just kind of staring at each other, trying to figure out trade compensation and quite honestly, I think, you know, the Packers are trying to avoid having to pay Aaron Rodgers the amount of compensation that he's due this season. I don't know off the top of my head what it is, but it's a lot of money. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, as a result, has a lot of leverage here that no one really talks about. Aaron Rodgers could say, you know what, I'm technically still under contract to the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to show up to the offseason program. And you guys have made it very public that you don't want me here and you're ready to move on. So therefore, by me showing up, it's tightening the screws on you guys to hurry up and get this done, you know? And I don't think anyone's really talked about that aspect of how much leverage Aaron Rodgers actually has in getting this thing to speed up and be completed. Yeah. Well, that's going to be a really fascinating deal to see, especially as we get closer uh, to the draft and see what compensation I may have to give up. Uh, Where were you at here at salary cap one oh one on Twitter. Uh, Look, if you, you know, if you got salary cap questions and you're on Twitter Ask them nicely, but ask them to J.I. because he's got all the uh, answers. I, I promise you that. Uh, my guy, I really appreciate it. Uh, sorry I didn't see you in Arizona. Next time, I don't know when uh, Washington's playing out there again, but, you know, one of these days. Hey, next, anytime you're out here, let's definitely link up. I appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, man. All right. Many thanks to J.I. Hallsell for his time. Thanks, as always, to everyone for checking out the podcast and reading my work on The Athletic, and of course, checking me out on Twitter at Ben Standig. Uh, more to come, you know, whenever there's breaking news on the ownership front, we will update the podcast and write about it on the site. Uh, we'll see when that happens. But for now, Ben Standig signing off. Until next time, see ya.